Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Market Insights podcast. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to us. I'm delighted this week to be joined by Philippe Lespinard. Philippe, welcome. Philippe is fresh back from the QIF in the US, uh, talking all matters strategic for fixed income from an investment standpoint looking into next year. So we're going to get into all of that. Just to begin with a very quick uh, recap, obviously markets beginning to think about Christmas, beginning to think about uh, the holiday season overall. Um, But that notwithstanding, uh, there's been... something of a Santa rally just recently for risk um, and aided and abetted by ongoing strong uh, data out of the U.S. I would call out specifically last week that we had a composite US US PMI, which hit 52. um, That was up from 50.9 before. Um, And importantly, also a a strong non-farm payroll number, um, which was uh, well ahead of consensus at 266,000 new jobs being created for the highest print since January. Um, And so that, of course, vindicated uh, the Fed's kind of hawkish on hold for now. Um, And uh, those of you who've been reading Keith Wade's recent output, obviously, he revised up his prognosis for the US economy very slightly looking into next year. And so in that sense, um, the lagged effect, if you like, of monetary easing uh, that Jerome Powell instigated earlier in the year starting to feed through. And it's also been interesting to see positive housing starts uh, in relation to that in terms of mortgage approvals and the like. So, um, Philippe, with that as backdrop, um, and obviously it's the time of year when we you know, look into um, next year, and there's one thing which we're going to get news on before year-end, which I wanted to start with, which is uh, risk sentiment is very dependent on the US-China um, trade negotiations and the prospect for a near-term truce or mm-hmm. uh, phase, phase one deal, at least, uh, purported to be on uh, December the 15th. What do you think the market is currently assuming? Uh, I, I would say the market's currently assuming that there will be a deal, um, but it's nowhere near anything final, that it is the first step of, of many. Uh, I think the market's also looking for the fact that the tariffs that are currently uh, scheduled to go uh, in effect or increase at that time will not, and that part of the deal is suspending the tariff action that had been announced previously. So that's the sort of the scenario that's in that's pretty much priced in. Um, anything that would be in excess of that would definitely be good news. It would be seen as good news uh, by the market. Probably a further rally in risk assets. Um, uh, but there is plenty of scope for disappointment um, because let's not forget the the U.S. had put out this this uh, this, this this end goal of a full respect of uh, of intellectual property uh, and all of that and by the Chinese government and uh, essentially enshrined in law and the Chinese have basically consistently said they will not do that um, and because it's such an important demand and because so much of the U.S. exports, which is really uh, intellectual property heavy. Bad IP, yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that will remain uh, a Festering major sticking point. the background. Point. Yeah. I mean, instead, so therefore you expect headlines more to do with um, suspension of particular tariff increases, agricultural, volume of agricultural purchases, that kind of thing. Yes, and, and and clearly the Chinese have made overtures that they would remove some tariffs on on U.S. agricultural exports, um, uh, you know, as part of the Phase One deal, um, which is important for a couple of reasons. One, obviously, it helps the trade balance, uh, but it's also the farming communities that have been the most hit by tariffs. Right, 
and the farming communities are important politically, uh, particularly to Donald Trump, um, and and that's where they're hurting. I mean, the number of farm bankruptcies has gone has gone up. Uh, there is a huge amount of distress in the farming communities in the U.S. So. Donald Trump does need this because he needs to reassure the farming community that there is an avenue for their exports uh, and for their for their crops. Right. And that's where the electoral cycle obviously kicks in and such like. Indeed. And it's starting to count because, you know, as the economy is gently slowing, nowhere near what people had feared in the summer. But as it's gently slowing, clearly uh, the idea that you might have a, an economy that's continuing to slow into an election is not, you know, it's not a great um, uh, time to, to, to run. So... You want to be running at a time when things are doing well. Right. Um, and, Absolutely. And, and you want to remove those obstacles if you can. But I was reminded this morning when I, I read a piece um, which highlighted how uh, I think all public institutions uh, in China have been instructed that they should remove all, quote unquote, foreign software um, and machinery in a sense. And hardware. Yeah. yeah. Um, on a three-year view. I mean, yep. if that isn't a, a, as clear a symbol of... Um, uh, take this the right way, disintegration, then I don't know what is. Absolutely. Um, and I'm not sure that the reverse could actually happen because there's so many machines that are made in China, <laughs> used everywhere, right. including, I should say, Schroeder's. Yeah. Uh, the idea that if we decided to remove them, I think we'd, we'd find ourselves really in a bit of a pickle. But we know from observed behavior that Chinese do what they're instructed to do. Oh, yeah. No, they, 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 and it's, it's the public sector, mind you. So uh, the yeah, private sector haven't been asked, but that may follow. It, sends a, it sends a signal. Yes. Anyway, let, let's let's move on. So um, so clearly markets very dependent on, on that. Um, more broadly, though, markets always dependent on monetary policy and the trajectory thereof. Um, and I want to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about Christine Lagarde, who is new in seat. Um, now, conventional wisdom at the moment um, has it that we get a trade truce uh, of sorts. There's then a multiplier effect, which helps Germany especially. We again had very weak data out of Germany last week. Um, and, and the likes of Japan, all part of the aggregate global trading system. But locally in Europe, clearly um, hugely dependent also on what the ECB um, continues to do post Draghi, you know, or not. What's, what's your... Um, expectations of Christine Lagarde as she starts to speak this week? Um, well, it, it will be her first press conference uh, following a monetary policy meeting. We we expect no announcements uh, of, of policy substance, uh, substance but um, but clearly it is, uh, you know, she's made already quite clear that she does, or she's hinted uh, at the fact she thinks monetary policy has sort of done its job and, it's, and not much more can be expected of it. And therefore, um, if there was a further slowdown in the European economy, it would have to be addressed through fiscal policy, um, activist fiscal policy, as in governments, um, you know, not just letting the automatic stabilizers work, which they do, and in Europe they're actually quite potent, um, but actually, uh, you know, deciding on things like infrastructure spending and so on. Um, now she's been through a crisis. She was finance minister during the uh, the, the great financial uh, crisis, so she knows how to work the financial system or the financial uh, the the, uh, the departments, the necessary departments, and she has a good relationship with with her counterparts um, in that in that particular sphere. So it is likely that her voice will carry maybe a little bit more than Mario Draghi, who seemed to be very much a markets person as right. opposed to, a, to you know to um, a finance minister type person. So you're saying there's more of a political dimension to her? I think she will make it clear that, uh, yes, that, that 
monetary policy is there to help, but can't be the driver of policy going forward. Where, so whereas she's been, so far, yeah, they've relied. You know, to be fair, you know, most governments have relied on the ECB to do the job. And not well, so I mean, I, I remember, you know, Draghi's will do whatever it takes. The big, the bazooka or whatever it was called at the time. Um, and so she has been very public already in saying, you know, beware of the limits of monetary policy and the, therefore an appeal for fiscal stimulus. Um, meantime, everyone's aware of, for example, you know, what Germany is, quote unquote, unable to do in terms of their constitution. What, what's your sense of actually how that plays out? And is there a risk that if she starts to um, sound you know, different in relation to ECB action, um, that the markets get concerned? Well, the one concern that markets would have was to say, well, um, that means next time around, uh, there won't be much in the toolkit to help markets. Next time around, I was in the next crisis. Right. God knows what that may be. Um, but, but that's a very remote concern for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, Europe has, been, has slowed, but Europe is more or less growing at trend. And what has really slowed in Europe, as you pointed out, uh, is the export sector. And and that's largely about China and Brexit and you know exports to Britain, uh, exports to 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 uh, Asia, um, and uh, you know of course the U.S. is adding uh, risk by you know now saying well we want to tax German cars and everything else. So there's there's that added uncertainty. When you look at domestic consumption in Europe, it's actually growing at and above or above trend. So there is no real crisis. It's just the fact that we have an industrial specialization, which which makes us more vulnerable to the ups and downs of the uh, the industrial cycle. Uh, and we're a more open economy than, say, the US uh, or, or China, as it, as it were. So, so in a sense, we're more sensitive to it. Um, and then let's not forget, Brexit has been a huge impediment to investment uh, in Britain, but also on the continent. And, and the removal of that uncertainty will probably free up a little bit uh, businesses to go back to what they should be doing. So... The the idea that there's this crisis looming that we're about to fall off a cliff um, and that the ECB needs to react urgently, I think is just you know misguided. Um, but the fact that you you might hint at saying, well, actually, next time around, it is really a fiscal thing, mm. uh, not a monetary thing that will will right the ship. Um, I think that increases the pressure on the politicians, and um, and uh, clearly, you need majorities for this. Um, and the majorities aren't that clear in Germany in particular. Everybody says, wants Germany to spend more money. Uh, but you have constitutional limits. You also don't have a, a groundswell of opinion uh, from the populace at large that just say, yes, let's just spend money we don't have. I mean, that's just there's no demand for that uh, politically. So it will happen. It'll just happen under the auspices of the EIB. There will be, uh, you know, be European programs. Uh, we've had one announced yesterday on the battery front, uh, major, major investment and, and uh, tax, tax incentives and research incentives on the battery front. So they, they'll, they'll come. They'll come in dribs and drabs. It won't be but the, the major but the bazooka, hundreds thing of billions being spent. Exactly. But, 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 but what's interesting about what you've just said there is that it takes a particular catalyst. Um, or justification, so case of batteries and, and if you like, renewable investment. Um, the case for that is increasingly unambiguous. Um, and so I think what you're suggesting is that for something more wholesale, uh, paradoxically, it may require more of a wholesale crisis. Or a more activist uh, EU. I think the new commission, by the way, has the intention to be much more activist than the previous one. Um, it's pretty clear from the, the older... 
all the commissioners, I mean, starting with the president herself um, and uh, and and all their commissioners, that they don't think they're going to spend their hundred their first hundred days twiddling their thumbs and right. feeling the ground. They they have quite a few things to do. They've and they're being encouraged by Macron in that regard, aren't they? Yeah, Macron, but also, you know, I have to say, you know, I mean, obviously Macron's the noisier one, um, but there's plenty of people who want the EU to have a, a, a personality, you know, in the policy sphere um, and want to make those big calls because, you know, the only the only economic unit that, you know, balances the US or China is the EU as a whole. It can't just be one country. It just won't work. So, uh, and the battery thing is one thing. You know, we've lost the leadership on the batteries. You know, we had it in research, but we just can't do the manufacturing and all of that at scale. And now it's time to do it. And, and the willingness is there. Right. So, um, let's go to the other side of, um, uh, of the Atlantic. Um, clearly, now it's under a year away until um, the uh, the presidential election, and clearly witness what we were talking about in relation to China before the campaign is underway. Um, uh, what? Uh, how do you see Jerome Powell's uh, role in the context of this and his independence? Yes, that's a that's a that's a big theme. You know, will 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 Donald Trump succeed in 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 clipping the wings of the Federal Reserve? Um, and. A couple of things we learned during our QIF was that first of all, Jerome Powell um, is is not a you know he's not Donald Trump's puppet. Um, he was definitely named by Donald Trump, but he is very popular with the Senate on both sides. He he has he has deep relationship with senators of all colors um, and and many of them. He enjoys very wide um, respect and support in the Senate, and the Senate appoints him, as you know. Um, so. In the end, um, it is the uh, you know the, the the sense that he has no other legitimacy than being appointed by the president is actually not that not true. Uh, he's he enjoys broad support, and therefore um, you know when he says, "Look, policy is going to be decided by data as opposed to a fixed destination," I think we can take that as a uh, as a as a proper sta- uh, statement of intent. If the economy doesn't need an ease. Um, and clearly, it doesn't seem to need it. Um, then there won't be one, and I think the market's rightly taken out the probability pretty much. Yeah. 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 Now, interestingly, um, the back end of the curve hasn't really moved that much, has it? Um, I mean, you, you mentioned that big payroll number. Yeah. You'd have thought, oh, well, that's going to be a sell-off in the bond market. Yeah. Hardly moved. Interesting. So. There is still the sense, uh, well, there's December the fifteenth. There's always something around the corner that's going <laughs> to cause the you know the, the economy to slow. And it's we like, tell us why we shouldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And the, the one conclusion we came away from, and I think Bob phrased it uh, you know, the, the most eloquently, is that the one thing the market's not ready for is good news. <laughs> you know, because we keep thinking there's bad news around the corner. There'll be something else coming around. Well, you're bond investors. Well, it, it may very well be, in our, and it's pretty clear that our equity colleagues <laughs> always have the glass half uh, full when ours is half empty. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, the, the, the bond market or the equity market aren't ready for, for, for good news. The market is definitely not priced for actually things aren't as bad as they might have been or the, you know, we even feared. Um, and therefore, you know, profit growth might, re, might, might restart. And it's been you know, profit it's growth true. has I mean, been it, completely absolutely. Uh, well, absent, you know, right? the, the year, latest quarter year on year was obviously negative, and um, the market consensus for equity earnings next year is mid single digit at best. Yeah. Um, and so it's always positive. It's always optimistic, isn't it? That's true. To reality. <laughs> that's true. But that's that's it's it's also kind of um, you know muted, mm. um, and I think reflects what Bob's saying in that way, which is that um, at the moment it's valuations relatively extended. 
um, you know, late cycle. Um, and there aren't many in equity investors at the moment who are pricing in an, a re-acceleration in that sense. Um, so therefore, you lead naturally on to um, the QAF uh, conclusions from, from, from that debate when you put um, prospects for uh, different types of pressure for stimulus in Europe, um, a kind of objective uh, Fed, uh, the data coming through in the way that we've seen it of late. Uh, what, what, what were the kind of investment conclusions that you reached? So investment conclusions is that for for um, for choice we would be un- we're, we're going to be underweight duration in Europe because the you know the the weakness over is overstated. Right. It's largely the external sector um, and and the, the domestic economy is doing is doing better and therefore the ECB is not going to give us much right. more on rates. Um, we might keep a long position in the US, but but it's it's really more insurance policy. You know, something might go hedge. bad. I yeah. mean, yeah. after all, on fifteenth of December, we that's could the, have bad that, news. That's right? exactly what Johanna is saying. And it, in a multi-asset context, yeah. is she owns treasuries as her hedge. Yeah, and and you know, it's only a week away, and we could get a <laughs> a shattering yeah. bad move. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, in in a week's time, so we can't afford to let our guard down. The credit markets are are a bit trickier uh, for a couple of reasons. The average spread keeps coming in gently, um, and and there's still demand for yield, income, whatever it is. Uh, we see that in our own flows, right? Um, the problem is you look at the average um, of the high yield spread, for example, that keeps gently coming in. Uh, but it's a two tiered market now. You have you have a, a large block of reasonably good companies, you know, double B companies, and that actually trade sometimes tighter than triple B companies, ironically, which are probably over levered. And there's a very long tail of very poor credits um, that can't find any take- takers. So in the previous credit cycles, when, when spreads compress as a whole, the dispersions tend to compress as well. So the bad credits do outperform the good ones. Here we have the opposite phenomenon going on, which is the credit market's doing well as a whole, but you have a long tail of credits that are doing very poorly and not being carried at all by this improvement, this p- potential improvement in sentiment. Um, so you could conclude two things: either there's plenty of value there when the cycle does, you know, reaffirm itself and it's we're in better shape, or alternatively, there's lots of companies that are, you know, that are suffering and that they're giving you the bottom-up signal that things aren't well, and there's plenty of companies that are really about to fold. Uh, we've had a few examples uh, in. We know in the UK retail sector there's been plenty of pain, um, and uh, we know, for example, in the European industrial landscape, particularly the mid mid-sized companies, uh, manufacturing companies, and so on, are you know there's plenty of stress there. Um, so it's a sort of we you know for a value investor there's probably fertile ground, uh, fertile hunting grounds, and we found a few, but there's plenty of, of uh, plenty of potential you know. Um, uh, Poor investments, and you know we've seen some restructurings, which have frankly been very adverse. So, um, so the credit markets are becoming less uh, one way, as in you should be just long credit. Right. Um, you need more. And there's nothing in the, in the in the sort of some of the risk assessment, particularly in the states, where I've um, occasionally read art- articles about this, that um, is making you kind of concerned about you know deterioration that has kind of perhaps more broader macro. No, the, the one, the one bit where uh, we had a full examination of the of the consumer in the U.S. Because in effect, one of our theses being, okay, well, there isn't a slowdown in the industrial sector. That's fine. Let's yeah. let's let's overweight the consumer-oriented credits, right. and it could be securitized or, or which is or very much Michelle's theme of that. Yep. But, yeah, very much, and that's been the general theme to to what we've done. So we had to do well. Let's do. We had to do a deep dive into you know how solid is the consumer um, and. 
our conclusion was well, actually, pretty solid. There's there's not that much, you know, and then we've had more employment growth and wow, so on. Now, incomes growth is slowing a bit. Um, so because salaries aren't growing as as fast as you might imagine, uh, given how tight the labor market seems to be. Uh, but inflation's low, uh, interest rates are low, uh, debt payments are low. So and the consumer spent the last 10 years deleveraging and is still deleveraging on the whole, taking advantage of lower rates to refinance or, you know, ease their, their burden. So you really have to think of something really, really bad on a large scale that would make that, that change. So we're pretty reassured. That, and, and that makes, of course, a recession very, very unlikely um, because it's 60 or 70% yeah, of, of the economy. economy yeah. so. so that's the conflict. Yeah. Good. Philippe, we're, sadly, we're, we're out of time. Um, but um, quick, quick recap. Uh, first of all, kind of everyone needs to keep their eyes. Obviously, we've got the, we haven't touched on it, but we've got the uh, UK election on Thursday. Um uh, which may or may not have implications for sterling. Um, uh, more importantly, perhaps on a global scale, we've got uh, expectations of announcements in relation to the US and China um, on December the 15th. The market definitely is assuming that there will be a deal of sorts um, to buy time in advance of the next run-up to the uh, US presidential election. Uh, in terms of Christine Lagarde's uh, arrival at the ECB, a key press conference this week where she may uh, set the tone um, to put into a wider context um, European monetary policy and thereby implication a further call to action um, for uh, governments uh, around uh, the Eurozone. Um, and then in terms of the US, uh, expectations uh, for rates uh, to remain on hold, uh, in a sense being vindicated by recent uh, data and a clear conclusion from the QIF uh, that Jerome Powell um, has in his own mind the mandate to remain very clearly objective uh, and independent, notwithstanding pressure he may receive uh, from the White House in the run-up uh, to next year's uh, election, next November's election. Um, and then in terms of uh, investment conclusions, uh, uh, again, now being kind of quite averse um, and short in Europe, um, given that increasingly the sense that the market's got overly uh, negative about where Europe has got to um, and the prospect maybe for that trade rehabilitation at the margin. Um, and then, but on the other hand, still owning US treasuries partly as a hedge um, uh, but partly, in a right, again, on the basis of um, there's always the risk that suddenly uh, recent optimism uh, can, uh, can, can give way. Um, and with credit spreads having come in uh, globally, uh, just being aware that uh, now the need at this stage of the cycle to be ever more selective and circumspect, and really uh, that's a theme that applies uh, both sides of the Atlantic, um, but possibly with the greater opportunity set at this stage existing um, in the U.S. Philippe, with that, thank you very much indeed. Hugely appreciate your insight. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we appreciate your time. Hope that these are helpful. Keep the feedback coming. And until next time.